0: We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. For if the message spoken by angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? This salvation, which was first announced by the Lord, was confirmed to us by those who heard him. God also testified to it by signs, wonders, and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Thanks, Frank. Good morning. Anybody else ready for global warming to kick in? Welcome to First Christian. We're glad you're here. We're glad you have chosen today to worship. Your presence here indicates that you care about who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And that's what we're studying in Hebrews here. We're talking about the superiority of Jesus Christ and what that means for our lives and how that changes us. We as believers are called to follow him with passion. That's the message of Hebrews for us. What we're going to do today is start our memory verse. How many of you haven't done memory verses for a while here? We're going to put a gold star in your Bible each week when you come uh, with your memory verse. Our key verse, our key passage for this whole series is Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. Hebrews 4, 14 through 16. And we're going to do it just a little bit at a time each week as we gather here to, uh, to study the Scriptures together as part of our study. So, if you haven't yet passed the sermon outlines down the aisle, please do so, because the memory verse is listed there at the top, Hebrews 4, 14 through 16, and what we're going to do, just like it shows there, is one little section at a time. So, for today, here's your section. Since then, we have a great high priest. Pretty much... All of us can do that at this point. So let's go ahead and repeat that phrase a few times together. Here we go. First time. Since then we have a great high priest. Well done. Let's do it again. Since then we have a great high priest. Third time. Since then we have a great high priest. Good job, you're Bible scholars. Let's go ahead and pray as we get into our passage today. Lord, we do have a great high priest. You have come to do what we could not for us. And so we want to live our lives with full confidence that we can draw near, assured of the salvation that you've brought for us. We want to live our lives this side of heaven with confidence and boldness because we can trust you. And so we ask that you would lead us in that vein today, that we would have ears that hear, that we would pay close attention to the message that you have brought to us. And we ask that your Holy Spirit would guide us in our study. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. It's no shock to any of you all that American culture does not exactly listen well. We are a culture that talks a lot. If any of you have ever done any traveling around the world, you probably know that Americans are known as loud, bossy, and boisterous. Many of us preachers, present company not exactly excluded, are probably guilty of being talkers more than listeners. We could all probably stand to do a little less talking and a little more listening in our lives. There's a funny story told about Franklin Roosevelt. When President Roosevelt was in office, like all of the presidents, he endured these long receiving lines of people coming by, doing the political niceties kind of thing, oh yes, you know, shaking hands, painted on smiley face, dressed to the nines for the formal occasion, and uh, President Roosevelt complained that in those receiving lines, no, really, no one really paid attention to what was actually being said. No one was really listening in those receiving lines, so one day... President Roosevelt, during a uh, formal reception, decided to try a little experiment uh, to see if anybody was actually listening. And so, to each person who passed down the line and shook his hand, he murmured, I'm not wearing any underwear, <laughs> and shook their hands as they went by. With smiles painted on their faces, guest after guest passed by, shook his hand, and said things like, That's marvelous. <laughs> Keep up the good work. We're proud of you. It was not until the end of the line almost to the very end of the line when the ambassador from Bolivia came by who actually listened and was a little surprised and probably a lot confused. And the ambassador leaned over after President Roosevelt said that and said, Me neither. Uh, I hope that that's not true, that last part or the first part. <laughs> we could all stand to do a little more listening in our lives. It may come as a surprise to you, but many of you, many of us, are in the category of talker more than listener and don't even know it. To be in that category doesn't even mean you have to be quiet in order to be a listener. In fact, we all know Plenty of people who do quite a bit of talking who are also extremely good listeners. Part of good listening is accurate verbal feedback. You see, this problem isn't really so much about talking too much as it is listening too little. And it's a real problem for us when it happens in our relationship with God. Many of us do a lot of talking, but not a lot of listening when it comes to our relationship with God. Many of us are not exactly paying close attention. Instead, instead many of us pay very, very careful, even meticulous attention in our lives to a host of a whole raft of relationships with the many idols that we worship in our lives that replace God. But we take for granted paying careful attention into the most important relationship of all. Just start talking about people's relationship with money, for example. You find that one out pretty quickly. Many people can tell you exactly Down to the petty, the status of their financial health, good or bad. And yet, many of those same people have no clue as to paying close attention to their status of their spiritual health in their relationship with God. Many of us have slowly drifted and transformed into fat cat Christians whose promiscuous love affair With cars and entertainment and 401ks and security and comfort and luxury and niceties of the world. Such that it renders our relationship out of tune with God. We're not listening. You can't. You can't hear. Many of us are spiritually off kilter and don't even know it. Instead of listening, instead of paying close attention to our relationship with God, many of us are still trying to manipulate and to control our little neck of the world with such meticulous care that it becomes a distraction from meaningful and healthy and growing walk with God. I am beginning to believe that the pathetic goal of the so-called American Dream was a ruse created by the evil one to distract well-intentioned believers from a meaningful life of mission and purpose. Many people in our church's pews are now so comfortably numb in their own American dream, that except for an hour every other week or so on Sunday, some of us haven't submitted ourselves to regular correction from the Word of God as a regular practice in our lives for decades. This, my friends, is not good. And it is a problem that is killing American churches. It is shriveling the hearts of believers in America Because instead of listening to the voice of God, we dance in step with the tune that the world is playing, like addicted alcoholics. Be warned, is what Hebrews says. Be warned, friends, any one of us, regardless of what we think about the security of our eternal destiny. Any one of us is just a few drinks away from a promiscuous love affair with the tune the devil plays. And that's why, as Hebrew says, we must all pay closer attention. We get this idea of listening from a phrase here in verse 1. If you're not open yet, open to Hebrews, the second chapter, the first verse here. We're going to focus a lot on this one verse because it is the crux of this whole passage. Everything that follows in 2 through 4 is just saying, Amen. This is why. Don't you see this? Are you hearing it? But verse 1 is the crux of the matter. And we get this idea about listening to God's voice from a phrase here in verse 1 where it says this, Pay much closer attention. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. That phrase, that phrase, "pay much closer attention," is one word in the Greek, and it means to hold the mind or the ear towards someone." It means to hold one's mind or one's ear towards someone or something. It was the same kind of word that was used. In sailing to describe holding a ship in a particular direction. It meant to sail towards something in a particular direction and to maintain a ship's course toward one place. We're called here to pay closer attention because of the first word. The first word in the passage, therefore. Some of your versions have the word coming later, but it's the first word in the passage. The therefore means, for this reason. It signals a change in tone in Hebrews here. It connects our passage, verses 1 through 4, to all that came before it in chapter 1. It means, because of this, this. Because this salvation that we have is so great, verse 3, pay closer attention. If you were here the last two weeks... Hebrews is saying, because Jesus is superior and the full revelation of God in chapter 1, then pay much closer attention. The author is warning us to make sure we've heard him correctly. Notice that the author directs his warning to the whole community. He uses the word we. Therefore, we, all of us, must pay closer attention. It's easy to name the ways in which we as individuals don't pay close attention. We'll put a bunch of individuals together, and I don't care what church you're going to. We all have to be paying close attention. It's like he is saying, did you catch what I said? Are you hearing what I told you about Jesus? Does it make any difference? Look again at our thesis statement here. Pay much closer attention. It means concentrating to a greater extent than we have been. It means paying closer attention to a greater extent than we have been, regardless of where you are now or where you've been. I don't care how long, how long you've, you've claimed Christ, <laughs> every one of us can pay closer attention. Matthew uses this phrase, pay much closer attention. And he uses it as a term of strong warning. If you want to look these up later, he uses it as a term of strong warning in 6.1 in Matthew, 7.15, 10.17, and 16.6. I'll say those again. In Matthew, it's 6.1, 7.15, 10.17, and 16.6 for those of you taking notes. This passage here is the first of five different warning passages in the whole book of Hebrews. For those of you who have been reading each week in Hebrews, you'll note that, that we get this doctrinal stuff, and, and he tells us about who Jesus is, and he talks about theology, and then all of a sudden the, the, the author changes tone and warns the people. This is the first of those five warnings. Verse 1 again, the middle of the verse. Therefore, we, we must pay much closer attention to what We have heard. The object of our attention is what we've heard. The content and the substance of this message is defined in the following verses as the message of salvation. Simple as that. It's the gospel message that we have seen and that we have heard in the person and the work of Jesus. So again, we're back to chapter 1. Verse 2 says, He has spoken to us by His Son. Think about that. The God of the universe, with all power, has spoken to us, frail, feeble, weak sinners. God, let me, let me, re, let me repeat that. God has spoken to us. We know this is true, as Hebrews says, because the Son of God came and spoke it. And the Son of God is not some middle class hippie Jesus who wears a dress and says funny, pithy, Zen statements about life. He is God. And He speaks as God. Chapter 1 says, He upholds the entire universe by the word of his power. It says he's the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus has the capacity to snap us all like a little matchstick if he wanted. And yet, we become comfortable sitting in our pews, bored, because we're hearing the simple gospel again which is why Hebrews warns against drifting. Verse 1 again. We've said what we've heard is the gospel. The fact that Jesus was both God and man, and that he had accomplished full atonement for us on the cross. To the contrary, the Christ that many of us end up functionally worshiping is a wimpy, limp-wristed Jesus who demands nothing from you because he's made in our image. Most of us functionally worship a Jesus who is fine with you spending everything on yourself. For weak and fat Christians, the real Jesus who walked a hard path of suffering with people who were broken, is nothing but a bloodied embarrassment to them. But that is not the Jesus of this scripture. That Jesus walked a path to the cross that demands we either take a good, hard, long look and pay closer attention, or we turn away from it. We are called to follow that kind of Jesus to the corridors of hospitals and nursing homes, through streets of cities, onto battlefields, into our workplaces and our homes and our families, to smell and to see and to touch the kind of suffering that he experienced for you. That's what we see, and that's what we are called to be when we are paying attention following him into broken homes and broken hearts, addicted lives, with the message of salvation he's given us when we pay attention. Why do we pay attention? Because, verses 2 through 4, because the message was declared by angels, and it proved to be trustworthy, to be reliable. And every transgression, every sin, every disobedience that happened in the Old Testament received a just penalty, a just retribution. So if that was the case in the Old Testament, we have Jesus. How shall we escape if we neglect a great salvation? We have God come in the person of Jesus Christ. They didn't even have it. If they didn't have that, and that was enough to hear the message, how are we not hearing the message? It was declared at first by the Lord himself and attested to us by those who came before us, by those who heard. Some of these Hebrews were hearing the message from those who had actually heard it from Christ himself. And then verse 4, God also bore witness. God the Father bore witness to the truth of this message by signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit. Hebrews is kind of saying here, it's as close as the nose on your face. There is evidence after evidence after evidence. And yet, here we are. 2010. 11. <laughs> Speaking of paying attention. Here we are, 2011, thousands of years later, evidence after evidence, people who have come before. And we have people who drift like crazy. Think about that. We have every advantage possible in our Christian life, and yet we drift You see, drifting is sort of like, in the Christian life, drifting is like the difference between sort of a golf shot and steering a ship. ship. Many of us sort of treat our Christian lives like a a wicked slice in in golf. As soon as you hit it, the trajectory is set as soon as you strike the ball. That's like our Christian life for some of us. You get baptized, you get saved, you pray a prayer, and, and then boom, it's over. You're safe, you're in, you're good. Maybe go worship Jesus or at least the charade of worship every once in a while when it's convenient for me. Give a little tip here and there. If the service is good, inspires me, I like the music. Keep up appearances. That Christian is like the wicked slice. Looks good at first, but eventually at the end, it tails off into oblivion. Way off target. (laughs) All golfers experience that, believe me. It looks good at first, but just give it time. It'll become a wicked slice if you're not careful. Many of us are like that in our Christian lives. We start well, we take a few practice swings, we get quiet and focused, and we're in the zone. Listening well for a time. At the beginning of our relationship with Jesus, when we're all sitting around a fire, singing kumbaya and holding hands, and it's easy. But friends, life gets hard and it takes correction. It takes constant correction to keep the ship of our lives on course. The healthy follower of Christ is aware of this need and is always looking at the map of God's voice, always listening, looking through the compass to ensure that our lives are lining up with God's guidance, always listening for what he has to say. Healthy Christians have their hands on a ship's wheel. Open Bibles, hand to their ears, hearts humble and ready and eager to hear the message of salvation that continues to feed their souls. Why? Because they drift. Our lives are ships needing constant correction. You want to know who's drifting in our churches? You want to know who's drifting in the world? Young men are drifting. Young men are drifting, and we have become content to let them drift. Older men, content to let them drift. Young men are prolonging their adolescence, refusing to grow up into men. They are staying in comfortable boyhood. One-third of young men in their mid-20s and early 30s live with their parents, an increase of 100% in 20 years. The average age of the video game user in the United States is 35. Where are the men, the young men in our pews? Young men are drifting, and older men are content and drift away. Marriages are drifting. 25% of adults in America experience a divorce at least one time in their lifetime, and divorce rates among conservative Christians are shown to be higher than other faith groups. And we're content to let them drift. Drifting apart for a lack of a unified mission. In their marriage and in their families. And do you know where they learned this lack of mission for their marriage? We're modeling it. In our homes and in our churches. We're modeling lack of mission. As if our homes, our kids, our marriages, our churches are directed at us, churches are drifting. Drifting into churchianity where we follow patterns of behavior that are set by men instead of seeking first to listen to God. In most American churches today, most American churches today, we are far more worried about what someone may or may not say than what God thinks. And we are content to let that drift happen. We have raised pseudo-leaders who lead based on fear of a people scared of what a few may or may not say instead of earnestly praying and getting on their knees for direction from the Holy Spirit first. Our first question in church leadership is rarely, I wonder what God thinks. It is usually, I wonder what so-and-so is going to say. We've drifted, drifted into patterns of listening to humans first, fearing mankind first instead of paying close attention and listening carefully to the message of salvation that we end up betraying as something we don't really trust. We need men who fight drifting, who take up their cross, walk through fire, and say, bring it on. And yet, we're content to drift. Drifting into haphazard mediocrity. Content with little to no preparation as the norm for our Christian growth and behavior. We exhibit carelessness in teaching our children and our youth. We have become people for whom worship is a relatively irregular practice. In the average church in America, the membership role is almost always two to three times larger than the actual worship attendance. That is drifting. And Hebrews is here to tell us God is grieved far more than we know. Many of us have not been paying close enough attention to know. As First Christian, we want to take seriously the admonition to pay much closer attention to what we've heard, to the message of the gospel, the good news in our lives that feeds our souls. Because that message doesn't just deserve paying attention to it, it demands it. This is not a take it or leave it kind of matter. This is the most important thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. And woe to us who are content with mediocre spiritual lives. So we want to encourage you to take advantage of, of the many ways that we have built into who we are as a church for you to continue to pay more careful attention. If you found that you're content with one hour a week of listening to somebody else listen to Scripture for you as you're a priest for you, then get your own nose into Scripture and into worship read through Hebrews once a week with us grab a bible reading plan on one of our resource tables if you're irregular if you're a regular in worship then become intentional about finding other ways and times to leave to relax to vacation if you're disconnected with the body here and you're not cultivating relationships with others, then go to a Sunday school class. Join a growth group. If you're not serving, if you're not communicating the gospel in word and deed with your life, then ask about participating in one of our eight ministry teams who are responsible for helping you serve. Hebrews is here today to tell us the opposite. The opposite of drifting is being so thoroughly consumed with Jesus Christ that everything else is what drifts. It's following with total abandon and heartfelt passion to see the glory of God made known in Jesus. Can that be said about your faith in the Lord? That you're following with abandon, with a heartfelt passion to see the glory of God made known in Jesus Christ. Can that be said of your faith? Let's pray. Lord, we... bow on our knees, asking for you to reveal yourself to us, because we know that we have all like sheep gone astray. And so we ask, Father, that your Holy Spirit would fill those places in our lives where we've drifted, that we would refocus, recenter, that we would re-engage with who you are and what you're doing in the world, and what you're doing in the lives of these people in this congregation Forgive us, Lord, for drifting. Forgive us for keeping our eyes on things that are of infinitely unimportant things that keep us from you. Lord, the good news of Jesus is what fills us. Help us to fight those other things that we hold up as idols in our lives. We ask this in the name of your Son, Jesus. Amen.